You're listening to The Gay Pro, where we empower gay business professionals from any industry to love who they are and love what they do. I'm your host, Omar Alexis Ochoa. Let's get into it. So I truly worry for this next generation of kids, Gen Z, Gen Alpha, whatever. I hear some of them are trying to straight wash pride. There's been so much buzz on gay Twitter recently talking about how leather and kink and overt sexuality don't belong at pride. Some even going as far as to say that it's predatory and damaging, especially to queer kids. I can't even get into it right now because I have a lot more to share with you today, so let's jump in. Hey, it's Amar Alexis, but you can call me Lex. It's been a while, I know, uh, between the stress of the pandemic and a new job and all sorts of changes recently, I've been struggling to keep up. Um, But I still love producing content for this podcast and just engaging with you. So for those of you who have stuck around, thank you, thank you so much. I've got some exciting things in the pipeline for you that I am really, really excited to share. But for now, let's just start with some new content. So there's been quite a bit of buzz on the Queer Newswire with this first article I really wanna share with you from Queerty. Corinne Jean-Pierre is actually the first openly gay woman to hold a press briefing at the White House. This is huge. Not only is she the first openly gay woman, but I think also the first black woman in recent years. This is such an inspiration for QBIPOC everywhere and truly a testament to how different this administration has been. Not only that, but there's actually a pretty cool line from Queerty that I found surprising to learn about Corinne Jean-Pierre. Uh, they said, quote, In the 2020 campaign, Jean-Pierre nabbed headlines when she physically restrained a deranged animal rights activist who tried to attack Kamala Harris during a moveon.org debate. So on top of all of that, she is a bona fide badass. That is props to you, Miss Jean-Pierre, so proud. Now, when it comes to business, Airbnb has uh, really just been making some cool moves lately. You know, here's a piece from Bloomberg that talks about how Airbnb is shifting from just travel and vacations over to living. And I mean, this makes so much sense. In Bloomberg, they talk about a conversation they had with the CEO of Airbnb, Brian Chesky, where he stated that COVID-19 to him has actually posed the biggest change to travel ever. Now, he talks about how with remote work, the lines between living, working, and vacationing have blurred. And I couldn't agree more. Like, you know, working from home during the pandemic for the past you know, year and a half, the home is your office. So, you know, those lines really are blurring. And with many people using this remote flexibility to work away from home in a kind of vacation-ish format, you know, able to work from home in places like 
Hawaii or Palm Springs, you know, I know a couple of people who are doing exactly that. Uh, a friend of mine has been living in Hawaii for seven months. No, I think the duration of the pandemic, so maybe a year now, a year and a half maybe. And, you know, this is only possible because of this remote work arrangement, which is fantastic. But uh, this really, you know, is what is predicating a lot of the changes Airbnb has been making to the platform and the app and is really a part of the vision that Brian Chesky has laid out in that Airbnb is no longer a travel company. You know, they are a, a living company. They're helping people not only travel and vacation, they're helping them, you know, experience living in new places. So my first objection uh, to this idea that mid to long-term stays, you know, months at a time, uh, you know, being more accessible to people is that it's still exorbitantly expensive to stay anywhere other than your, you know, your current living arrangement because you're essentially paying two rents. The cost of renting an Airbnb for a month is probably up there or maybe exceeding most people's rent already. Uh, but Chesky in the article actually states that a lot of people are able to hit a cost-neutral uh, benefit by renting out their own homes while they're away. Um, so that's not something I could do. You know, living in Los Angeles as well as you know here in West Hollywood, you know, the whole city I think has an ordinance that says like you cannot rent your your home or your apartment in a short-term rental. Now, I'm not sure if it applies to the whole city or if it applies to maybe just apartments in the city or like shared dwellings. Uh, such as duplexes um, in the city, but yeah, that kind of sucks. Like I can't just go spend two thousand dollars on you know an Airbnb in Palm Springs and work from there in a semi sort of stay-at-home vacation uh, format. Uh, but some people, you know, if they own the condo, if they own their own place, like they are able to do that. Uh, but you know, a lot of these policies refer to it as a short-term rental policy, which I don't know what the stipulations are exactly. I think that would be something really, really interesting to explore depending on where you live. You know, what is a short-term rental? Is that, is that rule against, I can't rent my apartment for a week or a weekend, but what if I rent out my apartment for a month or two months? Like, does that require a sublet? Like, it, it, it's it, the, the lines really are blurring, like Chesky states in this article. And people that are able to hit a cost-neutral benefit, you know, by renting out their current place and living somewhere else, like, that's freaking awesome. Uh, because further in the article, they talk about how with these more flexible uh, work arrangements, Airbnb is actually uh, enabling people to sort of test out a city before committing to moving there. Now, if you think about it, it's one thing to visit uh, you know, a city for a weekend or even a week because you're not getting the full experience of living there. You know, simple things like where will I get my coffee? You know, is my is my local grocery store nearby? Is it driving distance? Is it walking distance? Uh, you know, and, and what is it like to go for a walk in the daytime or at night in this neighborhood? Uh, and these are all things that, you know, maybe on a weekend uh, vacation you can't really experience. Uh, you know, I myself, when I moved to LA, uh, I took... I think a weekend to uh, look for apartments first, uh, you know, had just days of back-to-back -back apartment viewings, didn't really get a chance to explore the neighborhoods because I wasn't here very long. Uh, you know, I was really just here to get that transaction done and ended up signing, you know, before I moved, uh, before I flew back to my home state, 
uh, prior to you know uh, uh, conducting the move. So you know, had I been able to rent an Airbnb instead, live in LA, you know, uh, in a variety of different places, maybe a week in this one place and a week in this other place, you know, within a city, you know, that would have actually given me ample time to explore what it's like to live there. Uh, and I think the fact that Airbnb is moving in this direction, you know, you know, these mid to long term, you know, living rentals. Uh, I think it's it just spells a very very interesting new paradigm uh, as it relates to remote work and you know what people even consider a vacation. Like to me, you know, a vacation or a staycation is no longer really enjoyable here at my apartment where I spend all of my time working from home. I do this podcast from home. I used to work out from home. I recently rejoined the gym. So getting access to other places like this, I think, is going to be critical and is it's really really interesting that that airbnb is kind of taking this on so those were a couple of articles i wanted to share but now let's jump into today's topic on how gen z is attempting to straight wash pride So as I touched upon a little bit earlier, Gen Z is trying to straightwash pride. There's been a lot of discussion on gay Twitter, on gay TikTok. And you know, you know, as much as I love Gen Z and Gen Alpha and, and you know all these young people who are getting really politically involved and just making their voices heard using these platforms, I feel like to some degree they're getting things a little bit twisted as it relates to what comprises predatory? What comprises you know, trauma and, and abuse? Because a lot of people, especially on Twitter, have been talking about how kink at pride makes unwilling voyeurs among people who don't want to participate in your leather kink or who don't want to see you in your assless chaps. So their argument is that with kink and leather and all of these other things being kind of sexually charged at pride, that pride isn't a safe space for everyone, especially for queer children. That's kind of one of the big things I see people hearkening back to. The safety, consideration, and comfort of queer children and, and our allies at Pride who don't want to be exposed to certain improper displays of sexuality. And I just think it's bullshit. Like to equate it to being predatory, you know, be wearing a leather harness, or to equate it to, you know, any level of pedophilia, you know, that just Ugh. It just really feeds into a lot of these stereotypes that straight homophobic people have tried to lean into against queer people, saying like, oh, queer people, they're overtly sexual, they're not proper, they are, they're predators. Like, all of this, like, I'm just so shocked and disappointed to see so many young people feeding into that narrative and agreeing with it, kind of using that what about the children story. Like, on children... Think about what are queer people? Queer people are men and women who, for the most part, aren't having kids, for one. So the argument that, you know, oh, queer families with kids don't feel welcome at Pride, well, first off, there aren't very many queer families with kids. One day in the future, as the technology develops and becomes more affordable for people around the world, for queer couples around the world to have children, then yes, you know, maybe that argument can maybe be made. But right now, most queer couples do not have kids. Those that do, and bring their kids to Pride are few and far between. So there aren't really very many kids at Pride in the first place to expose to anything. So I think the argument's kind of moot. And I think for those kids who are at Pride, maybe with their straight parents who are allies, that's well and good. But 
saying that Pride should be family friendly is really uh, an attempt to make Pride friendly for straight people. And Pride isn't for straight people. It's not. And straight people are the people bringing their kids. Now, there's also the argument of propriety. You know, a lot of people are talking about how public nudity, public sex, those things shouldn't be happening. And you know, uh, in jurisdictions where public nudity is illegal, I agree, yes, uh, it should not be taking place at Pride. You know, there shouldn't be blowjobs on the dance floor. No, that's not what Pride is supposed to be. But I think it is a fallacious argument to say that Pride is unreasonably focused on nudity, but also as it relates to propriety, it's cultural. What is the difference between a man or woman in a leather harness or assless chaps at Pride versus women in bikinis at the beach? It's the same amount of skin. If you wanted to measure, you know, the, the surface area of skin being exposed, I'm sure you could do that. And you would actually find that beaches are probably a lot more revealing than pride parades. We as a society here in the US have accepted that, you know, bikinis and speedos and swim trunks belong at the beach and it's okay for people to be mostly naked at the beach and that's what you can expect. Newsflash. At Pride, people are celebrating their sexual identities, and part of that can include, you know, wearing leather harnesses and showing some skin, showing their bodies, you know, that they are proud to have liberated. Because in a lot of ways, the straight heterarchy, heteroarchy, if that could be a word, has been weaponizing our own bodies against us. And celebrating our bodies is just one of those ways that we uh, stick it to the man. I mean, think of all of the countless queer people throughout history who have faced things like forced sterilization. Like think of Alan Turing. He faced a, a forced castration for being gay, <laughs> quite literally weaponizing his body against him. And you know, very many other people you see in some other countries, some other developing countries, female genital mutilation. And that may not be related directly to queerness, but you know, it's a cultural practice aimed at limiting the sexual capacity of women. Uh, you, know, you see the assault on abortion here in the US, legislators fighting actively to control women's bodies and limit their access to treatment, making decisions about women's bodies for them. So pride is a protest against all of these things, all of these people who have said, you know, your bodies are not yours. It's a protest against these people who have said your bodies are dangerous. It's a protest against people who just hate, hate you for what you look like, celebrating who you are and your body and what you look like definitely belongs at Pride and kink and revealing clothing and you know all those things are a part of that. A lot of these arguments really are just falling into the trap that straight people have tried to levy against queer people for all time. I mean, you no, know, there's even a, a subset of queer people throughout history. You know, back in the day, you know, in the times of Stonewall, when we were seeing those, those initial kind of pride marches, we were seeing, you know, a more gentlemanly uh, sort of uh, activism of like gay gentlemen, you know, men marching in suits, actively decrying and going against the seemingly perverse and revealing image uh, of pride at the time by marching in suits. And that's great. This podcast is The Gay Pro. I believe that queer people of all types can be professionals, you know, who you'll see in a suit, run successful businesses. But I also think that they can have 
their improper sexual sides that should be respected as well. So the idea that there are queer people out there who are leaning into the idea that gay people only deserve respect if they are proper and fit the ideal of what straight people think is acceptable in a straight society, that's ridiculous. And I think I'm disappointed in Gen Z and Gen Alpha for not rejecting these notions. I expected better. And I hope that this piece of conversation, this little piece of conversation that I contribute can just go forth and open your mind and help you understand that just because something makes you uncomfortable doesn't mean it's damaging, doesn't mean it's predatory. So yeah, I don't know. That's my two cents. Thank you so much for listening. Again, my name is Amar Alexis, but you can call me Lex. Please make sure to rate five stars and subscribe for new episodes. You can also get more queer content at thegaypro.com.